Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. And Georgia leaves South Carolina with its third third win in as many trips. Georgia has three in a row in Williams-Brice Stadium, 45-16. Pretty dominant effort by the Bulldogs. Jumped up 21-0, withstood a little 10-0 run. Got up 28-10, ended up 45-10, and then... Uh, South Carolina punched one in there late with a long drive, mainly against Georgia's reserve defense. And uh, we, we got a lot to talk about as far as that game goes. Uh, JT Daniels did not follow up with another 400-yard game, 10 for 16, uh, 138 yards, 134 yards, something like that. Uh, a couple touchdowns, interception, uh, wasn't necessarily his fault, just kind of a freak play and, and a ball that may should have been caught, tough play all around. And uh, just just a lot to talk about here, Rusty, and and the want to obviously go to you go to you first most of the time here. Just your overall impression of the game and and kind of the way you saw it. We talked about it um, on the you know our predictions the other day, and I think we've all covered Georgia long enough to know that I know what the Georgia fan base wanted. We all know what the Georgia fan base wanted. They want to turn this guy loose and fire it around. It wasn't going to happen this weekend. In this past weekend, we knew that that eight yards rushing and I guess Mississippi State not being able to run the ball and those types of things, uh, that's not Georgia football. And it will never not be a part of Georgia football is running the football. Uh, Kirby Smart's going to run the football. Uh, you, you've got to be able to run the football first and foremost. You got to be able to run and stop the run. And then you can do all those things. Alabama does all those things. They do it with Najee Harris. I mean, they, they, you know, Florida throws it around, but they also got two really damn good running backs. And, um, you know, they do their thing there. But this was – South Carolina can't stop the run very much. They just kind of struggled all year with that. Uh, Georgia needed to get some things fixed, and um, I believe they did. One of the best rushing performances uh, total yards-wise, I think, in a long time uh, for Georgia. 335 yards, I believe, around close to that. So – it wasn't going to be a game. I know people wanted to see JT Daniels sling all over the place, but uh, this was a game that was going to be about the running game and getting out of there and uh, with a win, and he went and scored 45 points. So, um, you know, it, it, it. I know what people want. I, I talked to a lot of Georgia fans yesterday, some good buddies of mine, and they were, why didn't we throw the ball more? And I mean, look, I, I understand both sides of this. I understand why Georgia did what they did Saturday. I understand why parents, uh, why, why fans and, and other people want to see that part of it. But, um, you know, it's, it's 2020 and we, it's been a week to week thing. I'll tell you this. I sit on the board. That game got very close. That game got very close to being canceled twice, twice. I, I really felt like at one point I was about to come on the board and say, guys, it ain't going to happen. But, um, you know, credit to South Carolina and credit to Mike Bobo and some of those guys over there to 
for fielding a team and, and, and doing what they had to do to, to play on Saturday night. And um, so we're week to week. Hope that uh, for, for us and to cover a game and to see a game in Athens um, against Vanderbilt, don't really know where they're going to be why, uh, numbers-wise and, and who's going to, you know, how they're going to react after a coaching change this week. But, um, you know, need this game to happen. And uh, probably, in my opinion, will be a game you'll see a lot of younger guys, the Broderick Jones, the Tate Ratledge, uh, all those type of players you want to see, some MJ Sherman, some of that stuff. You're going to see some of those guys this week if this game happens. Uh, and right now, everything seems to be heading that way. Uh, we always leave ourselves an out in 2020, but this will be a game. And I know we had a big discussion. You guys saw it. There's a lot of topic on Carson Beck and whether or not he plays. I think, uh, you know, this could be a game that, that, that could probably get out of hand in the second half, and you can get that you can get that bench cleared, and, and you get to see a guy like Carson Beck get some reps and see what he can do. Yeah, and, and that's something I kind of wanted to hit on, Rusty, because – there, there seemed to be – it wasn't widespread. I think most folks kind of realize JT Daniels needs reps, that, that it, you know, he had a 15-month layoff. And, but there are some that wanted to see Carson Beck get some reps in that game. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, before the, before the game, I think uh, – um, I can't remember who it was, another rider on the beat. It may have been Dean Leggy. Uh, uh, shout out, Dean. Good dude. Uh, you know, I was talking with him before the game, and he was asking me, did, did I think Carson Beck might get a chance to get in that game if it got out of hand? And I said I didn't think so because I really feel like they want to give – even if it's just handing the ball off, you know, the, the operation of the offense and maybe some of the small decisions that need to be made, even when you're in run mode, um, you know, those are things that, that, you know, JT Daniels needs as many mental reps as he gets. It's pretty, pretty clear that he's the future at quarterback. I would be absolutely shocked if he, if he ends up moving on after this year. And that's a conversation for a later date, but I, I just don't see it. Um, uh, I don't, I just don't think it's something that, that he's going to do. And he's kind of indicated that via social media, but you know, I, I think that they did a good thing by keeping JT in the end until the end of that game and, and allowing him to kind of keep that offense rolling like it was. And, and, you know, Dijon Edwards comes in, runs the ball real well. Georgia salts away the final nine minutes of the game. Maybe the most impressive part of that game to me was how they did that because South Carolina kept putting more dudes in the box and more dudes in the box with the second-team offensive line and fourth-string tailback, fifth-string tailback, if you count Kendall Milton, who, who's out right now. Um, they they just kind of ran it down their throats and, and took the final nine-and-a-half minutes off the clock, which was really, really impressive and, and something you want to see your team be able to do. Downed it at the one-yard line with a chance to put 50 on South Carolina. So it was uh, it was an impressive performance. And I got more on the run game, but Kip, I want to hear what you what you got to say about this and, and your overall thoughts on how it went down. I, I thought that Rusty pointed that out that against Mississippi State, I mean, eight, eight rushing yards – like I said on the last pod, I mean, that is a slap in the face to not just the, the running back group, but that offensive line. And so I thought this was going to be a, a bounce back game for that group. And, and it really was. I mean, they went from eight rushing yards to over eight yards to carry for the running backs, averaging that in the, in the game. So, I mean, yeah, I get it. People want to see uh, Georgia air it out. But when you're averaging over eight yards to carry – and you're able to just run it at, at will. It's not only is it the right way to go about it, but it, I mean, it opened up the play action. And I think that that was the whole point. I mean, the Todd Monken offense is you're able to get the defense 
on its heels and, and keep them, you know, from being able to know what you're going to do next. I thought Georgia looked great on play action. And, you know, I think that, uh, that Arian Smith, uh, uh, touchdown, I mean, that was off play action, that play. And so attacking downfield is still part of the offense, even though they're not throwing it, you know, 20, 25, 30 times a game. And I really was impressed by the performance of, of Trey Hill specifically. I thought it would, it may have been his, his best performance to date. I mean, he's had up and down season. And, you know, the snaps are, are something that continue to be, I guess, a discussion point. But overall, best game I've seen from him really at, at Georgia. And, I mean, there's a lot you can take away from this. One, I mean, just J.D. Daniels' confidence. You know, when, when the play wouldn't go his way – it did. You could tell that. I mean, he had that short-term memory that that you needed the position. He brushed it off and just and just you know kept going. And even the the bad plays, like you said, I mean, the interception was kind of a fluke. He had an almost interception, a ball that should have been picked off that wasn't. But the the sack he took. I mean, you saw him move out of the pocket the wrong way. Warren McClendon had his guy blocked correctly. Had no idea that JT was was going to roll out in, in that direction. But still, if that's going to be one of your, you know, your worst mistake in the game is, is holding on to the ball too long, it's still one of the better mistakes you can make. And, and it, we've seen it at the quarterback position this year for Georgia that they've made some, you know, some really, really poor decisions. And, and, and if that and a fluke interception, uh, you know, if that's as bad as it gets. And then also uh, missing Jermaine Burton, I believe he, he was wide open on, on, on a one play. If those are the the biggest mistakes JT's going to make in a game, I think you have to feel pretty good about where you're at at the quarterback position. So, you know, I, I was really impressed with that. Just overall, Georgia's backfield, a lot of discussion on, you know, DeAndre Swift not being in there anymore. You know, what does this running back group look like in, in 2020? And I think you kind of saw a little bit of that about that potential here moving forward, not just with, with James Cook, you know, if he comes back, but also just Kenny McIntosh and Dijon Edwards. I mean, those guys, uh, Dijon really this first time you really saw a lot of him. He's got good, you know, good explosiveness, good pep in his step. And Kenny McIntosh's vision is very impressive. He's not going to, he's not going to win that 40 competition among the running backs or skill position players. He's not the biggest guy, but he, he has probably the best vision out of any running back in that group now. And really of, of guys you've seen in recent years, it's just really impressive to see that from him. And it, it bodes well for his future at Georgia as well. I feel like you highlighted Trey Hill right there to kind of remind us all that you picked the offensive line as your MVP. And I've told people over and over again, Kip, I don't know what it is. You, you're on a hot streak as far as these, I mean, if there's a way to kind of put a, put money on it you would you would definitely be up you'd have a lot in the in the bankroll at this point but uh yeah the offensive line was tremendous and one thing I want to point out well there's two things one if and and listen I know I know about the word if you know aunts and uncles all that stuff all these sayings about if uh but um you know there's if you look at this game and you know there was basically two drives where South Carolina stopped Georgia all right. Well, actually, one drive where South Carolina stopped Georgia, and it was where, uh, you know, the, the interception, um, because that was a really nice play by both defensive backs who were involved on that play. Georgia downs the ball at the one yard line, did 
South Carolina didn't stop Georgia then. Uh, Georgia dropped a fade ball in the end zone after an illegal uh, legal motion penalty that negated a, a Dijon Edwards touchdown. Uh, it, Jermaine Burton had a ball that kind of hit him in the hands there. I thought he was probably getting tugged as the ball got there, and he didn't catch that. Uh, and then, you know, JT Daniels has the underthrow on the ball to, to Jermaine Burton that, that probably goes for a touchdown if he hits him somewhat in stride there. Uh, but, but you take away the, the underthrow and the drop ball in the end zone, and Georgia puts up 59 points, or not really 59 points, I guess, because they got three on one of those drives, but they put up 11 more points than they did, so 56 points. And uh, South Carolina gets one stop in the game, and and you want to talk about yardage efficiency, Georgia would have been right up there at the very top, you know, about 95% of the yards that could have been gained would have been gained. So that's one thing I want to point out. The other is when you go back and look at that game, um, I, I listen. I don't know what JT Daniels was directed to do, but I saw some of Georgia's most productive runs appear as if they had an RPO or just a package play where it was a pre-snap read that were where a pass was attached. And the reason I bring that up is, uh, you know, JT Daniels made some good decisions with the football if that's indeed what those were, and that's what they very much appeared to be. Uh, you know, I know the James Cook. Uh, touchdown, the 29-yard touchdown. George Pickens is over there in the flat as the you know corner bails at last minute, and JT Daniels hands it off because they have numbers in the box. They look like they had a guy, uh, like a star, uh, a nickel defender playing underneath Pickens there, and Daniels hands it off, and James Cook untouched for a touchdown. So you know some of those run plays, some of the more some of the bigger run plays in that game were were issue were a situation where JT Daniels made it appeared to make a good decision with the football. And Georgia got that. I mean, those those would have been throws. And I know people wanted to see Georgia throw the football. But listen, when you're averaging with with I believe I believe it was at least one sack at the time, maybe two sacks. So at halftime, nine yards a carry. There's, I mean, I get it. You want to be Alabama. You want to be Clemson. You want to be Florida. You want to throw for 300 yards a game. You think you got to be pass first to be. Uh, you got to be passed first to win a national championship, and I agree with those things uh, to an extent. I really do. Like you, you need to be able to throw the ball. You need to be able to throw for 400 yards when you need to. But guess what? Georgia did that last week. Georgia did throw for 400 yards when it needed to. So uh, you, you also want to be able to run the ball for a couple hundred, 250 when you need to as well. And uh, and Georgia did that on Saturday. And and Rusty, you called it way ahead of time. I mean, it was almost like you anticipated an overcorrection. Like, like Georgia needed to get back on the right track as far as running the football and, and being a little bit more balanced. And, you know, listen, they weren't balanced in that game, but over the past two weeks, you take a two-game sample, an eight-quarter sample, Georgia's been balanced. Georgia's been really balanced. Actually, they've thrown for more yards over the past two games, and they have run the ball for more yards. So, you know, I, I think that was big, you know, getting through the air a couple times. And then also, I thought a real statement in that game, not not a run the score up statement, but a statement that hey, got something to work on, want to get better, want to get a guy involved. That Arian Smith touchdown, getting Arian Smith there in the slot and getting the ball to him downfield in that play action play and getting him a touchdown, huge for his confidence. And now all three of those top 100 receivers, top 100 overall players that play wide receiver that signed with Georgia in last year's class have a touchdown this year. Jermaine Burton has three, Marcus Rosemary Jackson has one. Now Arian Smith has one and is healthy. Interested to see how many touches he gets from here on out. 
Uh, guys, let's let's jump into a quick break here. Uh, it's a little earlier than normal, but let's jump into it real fast. And then on the other side, uh, we'll talk about maybe some surprises, maybe something that kind of jumped out to us in that game, specific areas, and then kind of what needs to happen this week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, Rusty, lead us off. Anything really jump out to you in that game or even surprise you? Um, not, not really, to be honest. I mean, I, 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 it kind of played out the way I thought it was going to play out. Um, you know, touching on where you, t- you ended right there with Arian Smith, Jake, that's one of those things where you want to see that guy, you want to do it, but you know what you did? You also put something on tape. You put something on tape for everybody else to prepare for because – these kids, these guys recruit the same players, and everybody knows Arian Smith can flat out roll. And you look at Arian Smith, and you know I watched him in person last week against Mississippi State. I think he played two plays. Well, he you know he comes in and uh, blows by a DB, but I don't think that Daniel saw him, and he actually completed a ball, but it was to the sidelines and out of bounds. When you look at what George is trotting out right now. That's where the Georgia fans are getting excited because you got George Pickens, you got Jermaine Burton, you got uh, Trey McKitty, you got Darnell Washington, um, and then you throw in Arian Smith. Even with the guys they've got out and the injuries they've got out, uh, you look at those things, and and, that, and and Georgia fans have been dying for a vertical passing game, and he's got some weapons. And um, you know, I think the Arian Smith deal didn't surprise me. I think it just kind of gives you another weapon. And it really kind of put something else on tape. Um, you know, I, I was watching the Texas A&M LSU replay, and Texas A&M showed a couple blitzes late in the game that, you know, listen to the broadcast team, they were correct. You know, probably hadn't seen that all year, but it put it on tape and it put something more for you to prepare for. So, any, you know, these coaches are – they're all a little bit paranoid, man. So, when you put something new on tape, it, it creates more work on the other team and – uh, you know, that Aaron Smith, they need to get him involved and get him some touches, but uh, they, they took a shot there for a reason, and it, it's for down the line. Absolutely, man. That, you, you nailed it right there because, you know, I remember when when I was coaching some high school ball over at Cedar Shoals, we're watching film, and uh, I can't remember who we were playing. It may have been Hab Central, Habersham Central. I can't remember who was who was on the schedule, but we were looking at this X over formation they were running all week long where they lined the tight end up on the same side as the split end. He's covered up. He's not eligible. But the way we ran a three-five-three defense, which which basically functioned as like a five-two because we had two ponies up on the line of scrimmage, and and uh, you, you're looking at that and you're kind of like, man, you know, 
that's that's kind of hard to you know with that m- amount of personnel you basically got trips in in terms of a blocking formation to one side how, how are we going to play that and we spent all week repping it making sure our guys knew how to line up making sure our guys knew how to deal with motion and we didn't see it once we saw it about 10 times on film the week before but we didn't see it once in the game we played and so we spent probably you know an hour and a half of practice time that you know cumulative over the week and didn't see it, didn't even get to use it. It was all out the window. That was all wasted time uh, from, from – we didn't see it the rest of the year. So it was it – was, because that was the only basically pro-style I-formation type team we played all year. And it was just, you know, those kind of things drive you nuts as a coach. And I'm not saying that anybody's going to do that with one play because a lot of what they do, these defenses do, is conceptually. But they'll they'll rep that – they'll rep stuff like that and look for Arian Smith and look for that speed in the slot and some other things that Georgia did in that game – uh, throughout the week that they that, that Vanderbilt won't see, Missouri won't see, you know, Georgia will have a new wrinkle for them. But that's just that's just kind of the gamesmanship almost that, that you see happen in games like that. Kit, was there anything that stood out to you? Any surprises? Well, uh, you know, first I just want to give credit to a couple a couple of Georgia guys on, on South Carolina's team. I mean, Kevin Harris was tough to bring down for Georgia defenders in that game. He impressed me a lot. The stats don't really show it. I mean, I think in the end, he only averaged a little over three yards to carry, but he had some tough runs in that game. And, it, you know, whoever's coaching South Carolina, I mean, they got a piece they can work for with with him on offense. And then on defense, I mean, Jamie Robinson, uh, Chris County, with Kevin Harris being from uh, Bradwell Institute, you know, in Hinesville, and then Jamie Robinson at, at Chris County, I mean, yeah, an outstanding game. He was all over the field. Uh, a guy that Georgia recruited, they were involved with. You know, really, really outstanding game from him. That kind of stood out to me. But, you know, one thing that kind of caught my eye was just uh, George Pickens. You know, a game after, you know, he he got a lot of looks against Mississippi State. Only had uh, three receptions in, in this game. I just – the one thing that stood out to me was when Trey McKitty made that touchdown and he and he's diving for the pylon – and, you know, initially not called a, a touchdown. Immediately you saw George Pickens just right at the ref talking, you know, just arguing for Georgia and, and trying to tell him, like, hey, man, he he got in. He got in the pylon. That just kind of stood out to me a little bit. I mean, we've talked a lot about George Pickens. I mean, maturity's been brought up. He's had a couple things that happened on the field that have cost Georgia as far as penalties. But, you know, that that right there kind of stood out to me because you, you can tell that, you know, just on the field, that competitive spirit, he still has it. I mean, he's still buying in to, to what Kirby Smart and the coaching staff are trying to do here. And in a game where Trey McKitty really impressed me, that play just kind of stood out with George Pickens just because, it, you know, it gives you that – not just that hope, but, it's you know, it's impressive to me for the young man just to immediately go and do that when he wasn't even involved in the play. And as you guys said, you talked about Arian Smith, uh, you know, Pickens, Arian Smith, Jermaine Burton, uh, Kiaris Jackson, you know, Rosemary Jackson, and Dominic Billock. You get all these back, these guys healthy next fall. Everything that Georgia fans want from an offense, the, the pieces have the potential to be there. They had the chance to put it all together. I know I've said that before, but you, you get JT Daniels as many reps as you can. Uh, some of these young backs, you get them as many reps as possible. I mean, this offense has has the chance to be special, and I just thought that you know that that one play where Pickens wasn't even the guy that scored just kind of stood out to me. It's just something that you know maybe that growth is happening, and, and then maybe you know he's seeing that he has the potential to be highly productive 
but also his team has a chance to be successful if everybody buys in. Well, also George Pickens had a key role on that play. He uh, he kind of Georgia was kind of giving South Carolina some of the medicine they had dealt with in previous weeks. George Pickens kind of set a pick there on McKitty's guy and, and slowed him down and getting there and allowed enough separation for for McKitty to get in a really athletic play to make that play. But yeah, Kip, you 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 really bring up a good point there, which is the fact that. Uh, you know, Rusty brought up some names, but then when you add Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and you bring you add in Dominic Blaylock, and maybe there's one of these guys in this current class, Adoni Mitchell or or uh, or Jackson Meeks, that's able to make an impact um, on the uh, on the receiving core, or or somebody else steps up, or or whatever. I mean, Darnell Washington. Yeah, right. You you run down the list. Uh, you know, Pickens, Blaylock, Rosemey, Jack Saint. Uh, uh, Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, Arian Smith. I mean, that's the kind of receiving core. That's the kind of raw talent at receiver. And you've got some proven production there too. Uh, yeah, that's that's what you want. That, that's what you want to be working with going into next season. And and you check off so many boxes with that group. You've got big guys. You've got you've got fast guys. You've got twitchy guys who can separate quickly. Um, it, it is one of the deeper, more talented receiving groups that that you can you can remember seeing at Georgia, and, and and there should be some excitement there, especially if JT Daniels continues to get better, and and you know wins that job, and you got another good quarterback coming in, Brock Vandegrift. You got you got guys, you got a guy you don't much, even know much about with a lot of raw talent and Carson Beck. Um, you know, things are definitely looking up for the passing game. And on top of that, you got all those young offensive linemen that got a chance to play in that game. Xavier Trust comes in at left tackle when Jamari Sawyer gets hurt. Sawyer comes back in. Trust comes back in late. Uh, you know, Broderick Jones got to show a little bit of what he can do. And Kirby Smart commented on him last week. Needs to get a little bit stronger, but but he's vying for that fourth tackle spot. Um, that was probably the biggest surprise to me was was just how much you know. Normally, when when that second offensive line comes in, it's almost like the second defense coming in. You expect some struggles. You expect them to kind of. Uh, kind of have to work through some stuff, and it wouldn't have shocked me at all if Georgia would have went, you know, five or six and out, or three and out, or whatever on that final drive. But for that group, and I know South Carolina was down some bodies, but still, these are a lot of guys getting their first major action of the season, some of their career, and and Georgia just goes out there and, I mean, they scored easily. I mean, it was they were on the one yard line, first and goal from the one when they decided to take a knee. And that really, that really took me by surprise. I thought that was a real good showing from that group. And, um, you know, I, I was also a little bit surprised with the defense and, you know, especially how quick of a start it got off to and then kind of got into that lull a little bit, some bad eye discipline. I don't know what George is going to do as far as these running backs releasing out of the backfield and some of the easy throws they're allowing teams to do to use. I mean, you can't really run the ball effectively against Georgia consistently, even with Jordan Davis out. Um, you know, Kevin Harris did the best he could, but even he had to break a lot of tackles to make it happen. Uh, but but they they caught so many swing passes and so many quick balls to the running backs out of the backfield that it extended the running game and became a part of it. And and all of a sudden you're looking at second and five when when you know the quarterback barely had to make a decision on where to throw the ball. And uh, that's something Georgia's got to work on. They've got to get better at. Got to get it cleaned up, especially before next season. And you know if if the Missouri game takes place, and I'm I feel pretty confident that it will, either on the twelfth or on the nineteenth. They've got a good one there in Larry Roundtree, and they got another one in Tyler Beatty, who who's also a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. That they've got to get, got to get that stuff figured out. And and you know the defense is what it is at this point. 
Um, you know, the cornerbacks had a really good game, and, and I thought it was overall a pretty good showing from the defense, but not not as dominant as it could have been, and I don't think not as, as dominant as, as we all expected coming into the year. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you want to see them finish strong, and um, but but I do think there were some bright spots there. Lewis Seen was outrageous. I mean, he – He's, uh, he's a fun guy to watch play if you like watching a, kind of some throwback football from the safety position because uh, he, can, he can get after it and cover a lot of ground. Uh, Rusty, what needs to happen this week for Georgia? What, what, we do it kind of every week, and what needs to happen? Georgia's got two games left, on, left to play. Um, I, one game, like I said, hasn't been scheduled yet, but I'm pretty sure it will. What, what needs to happen for this team going down the stretch? Not play your competition, and I think Georgia did a good job this weekend of handling their business and going out and playing this. Listen, we don't have to sugarcoat this. This is not a matchup. This is not a matchup in any way, shape, fashion, or form that Vandy should be in this game. I mean, they they have went through, you know what, they've had countless opt-outs. Um, who knows uh, what they're bringing to Athens? But this is a this is a team that Georgia can physically manhandle and should uh, do things that make everybody happy. They should get a lot of playing time. I, I, I said last week that I felt like Georgia was going to run the ball. They did. I feel like Georgia can do the exact same thing this week and win. But I don't think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see Georgia work on the passing game some. Probably going to get a lot of different guys involved. I think this is a game where um, you can run the ball. And if you have a tip ball, turnover type deal, whatever, you're not going to freak out. You know, um, It's not going to be about turnovers. This, this should be a game that Georgia handles Vanderbilt. This is a depleted team. Coaching change, everything is 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 not going good right now for Vanderbilt. So, uh, I think this is a game you open up the playbook. And, you know, you, there's not a promise of another game this year, you know, if this one happens. So you go out and you swing it, throw it around a little bit, see what JT Daniels, get him more time. Uh, I think you let Carson Beck play some. Stetson Bennett might get some reps. I mean, it's this is a empty the playbook, empty the sideline. This is maybe that walk on, you know, DB or line that everybody loves that don't get much playing time. He gets a few reps in the fourth quarter. This should, this should be a good one to do all that, and I fully expect Georgia to handle business, and this game should not be anywhere near a football game come the fourth quarter. I got a little distracted there, Rusty. I'm sorry if I didn't hear all that. I was checking Twitter real fast because I got an alert, and I somehow ended up watching a short video of Phil Mickelson doing the worm. Uh, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit thrown off. <laughs> he was involved in alcohol this weekend playing with Charles. Oh my God. That was so much fun to watch on, on Friday that, that Charles Barkley is a, is a riot, man. But well, you know that he, he was spent some time over there by Kip's house. You don't give up Kip's location, but Kip lived. <laughs> give up Kip's location. Kip very well lived near a very, very prominent golf course in the Atlanta area. And I'd heard on the radio Friday. <laughs> Charles Barkley had been, been over there every single day uh, ripping balls for about three or four weeks. So I don't know if three or four weeks can handle that swing, but certainly he, he's definitely improving where he was. Pitchforks and flames walking around uh, walking around East Lake Golf Course right now trying to find Kip's house. Look for the, look for the place with a steep driveway. 
Uh, but, uh, yeah. So Kip, <laughs> now that I've, now that I'm further giving up your location, Kip, Oof. like, like Geraldo Rivera that one time in the, in the Iraqi war, what, uh, what, what do you, uh, what, what do you think needs to happen this week, uh, for Georgia? What, what do they need to get done going down the stretch? Well, the one thing that we know, I mean, even the last two games, the last four games, we know that the level of competition, even though they're SEC programs, with, with depleted rosters right now, you're not getting a great look for what Georgia can do in those 50-50 games next year. When we're talking about those elite opponents that Georgia's set to play next year, you, we're not getting the greatest eval right now. So that being said, I mean, reps are really important. Uh, so seeing Jalen Carter in the last – in the last game, I mean, the one thing, the one positive from from Jordan Davis not being able to play is that you've gotten more reps from Jalen Carter. You've seen more from from Stackhouse. You know, Zion Logue, he's shown me some things as well. I was impressed by the snaps he took in the game. So, you know, getting the younger players some playing time is important. And also, I mean, just Working on improving tackling, it's still an issue. We saw broken tackles in this last game. It's something that you just, you know, you got to keep hammering home uh, the fundamentals, even if it's late in the season. You got to keep pushing on that and, and trying to get some improvement in that area. I think one thing that's kind of uh, maybe gone a little bit behind, you know, out of the limelight is this Georgia is getting to the quarterback more now. I th- think. Do they lead the SEC in sacks right now, I believe? I could be wrong there, but I think they lead the conference in sacks. I mean, they haven't really been close to the top under Kirby Smart. I don't think they've been in the top four or five since he's been there. They have a chance to to finish this year as the, you know, the top unit in the SEC. I mean, that's something to, to, to keep an eye on. If they can keep getting to the quarterback and, and, and you know, finish it, uh, they have a chance to – I mean, that's – that's something to be impressed with. You got Adam Anderson coming back. You got, you know, Channing Tandle coming back. I would imagine that Aziz Ojolari, you know, is going to the, the head to the NFL. Jermaine Johnson, you know, possibly as well if he doesn't use that extra year of eligibility. But and just seeing those younger guys come in on defense and make plays. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Lewis seen all over the place defensively. Uh, I, I thought that – uh you know, the secondary overall played pretty well. But, you know, let's see what some of the younger guys can do. We know Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, those guys could be playing their, their last home game uh, for Georgia this weekend. You know, seeing some of the guys below them, that's a position going into 2021. There are going to be a lot of question marks about cornerback for Georgia. You know, what does Georgia have on the roster right now at that position? It'd be great to try to, you know, get some snaps for some guys and, and try to get a, a little bit better look to see what you have there. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, the, the next two games. Not not really evaluation for trying to compare this team and, and set expectations for next year, but you get some experience. And then also, I remember asking Jake, going back and looking toward the end there, Broderick Jones getting some time at right tackle. Uh, see, let's see some more Broderick Jones, see what he can do. You know, I think – Warren McClendon's done done a really solid job, but you, you got some young, talented offensive linemen on the roster. You got some more guys coming in. So continuing that competition and, and trying to, to build some depth and, and improvement there, 
will really pay off for next year. And I think, I mean, there is a lot of value in that. Everyone, you know, is obviously just watching, wanting Georgia to return to the SEC championship game this season. But I, I, I think the key here is getting guys as many reps as possible and trying to get some confidence and, and just some experience so that this team can be prepared for really anything in 2021, which we've seen you really have to be prepared for anything this year. I'm all on board with the young guys getting reps, but to me, it it I look one spot. You got to completely knock the rust off JT Daniels. I, that's that's to me. I still see it some. I still see kind of issues here, issues there, mistakes. Maybe he's making that that you know third year guy and a and a guy who has started. I guess now what is it? Fourteen games. Um, that that he 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 doesn't need to be making very often. He's not making them very often. But but if you can completely eliminate those or make those once every two or three game uh, mistakes, then then that I think is when you've kind of got something special at the quarterback position. And listen, I think JT Daniels can be great. Um, you know, we reported way back when during Georgia's actual bye week, which would have been after Alabama and uh, before Kentucky. Uh, I said then that everything I was hearing out of the program was that the staff was high on him, that that they, you know, that he wasn't ready to win the starting job yet, but they were high on him. And they knew that he was a talented kid. They knew that it was in there somewhere. He wasn't quite getting it done at that point, but they they just knew. And and they liked his skill set. And and he's shown some of that thus far. And he's made some good throws and he's made some good decisions. And you just want to see more of that. You want to see more consistency. And I just think that. Yeah, knocking the rust off helps Georgia this year. It helps Georgia finish with two more wins, eight and two in regular season, maybe a New Year's Six Bowl, likely Peach Bowl or something like that. But to me, it's it's so much bigger for next year because if if you completely knock the rust off, if you completely get the guy where he needs to be within the offense, within his yeah, as far as his health goes, as far as his comfortability goes and confidence goes. I mean, you start next season off against Clemson in Charlotte. Clemson will be breaking in. A new starter at quarterback, although DJ Ungalale has uh, Uyungalale has a uh, has some experience under his belt. They'll be replacing a lot of new pieces um, as well. Um, you you want to be able to go toe to toe there at the quarterback position, and I think that gives Georgia a chance as long as JT Daniels keeps developing. And I just want to see if he gets better. I know it's tough to get better statistically than he got than he was against Mississippi State. But but I do think that that he can actually get better eyeball test more efficient um, more accurate. There's always room to improve, and I think he's got plenty of room to improve. And his improvement is is the number one key for me. I, I don't really have a lot of worries about the defense. I think one of the things bothering that unit this year, other than injuries, is reading their own press clippings a little bit. Um, wouldn't shock me if there was a little bit of a lack of focus there. Some guys with this weird season maybe looking towards the next level a little bit. I don't think it's affecting how hard they're playing. Um, you know, we've talked about the receiver receiving core. I think Georgia's uber talented on the offensive line. It's going to be just fine no matter who leaves and who stays. And the receiving core is awesome. Okay, the receiving core is extremely talented, but it all hinges around that quarterback position. And and I just think JT Daniels has got the the raw talent and 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 bandwidth 
as far as intelligence and football intelligence and, and game management goes to take Georgia where it needs to go. And I think that that's that's an evolving process that this year, these next two games or three games, if they get to play, you know, if, if bowl games end up happening, and, and heck, it's 2020, Vanderbilt may not happen. Uh, it's, Missouri may not happen. Who knows what's going to happen from here on out. But for every game they get to play, I'm watching the quarterback position every time out. And and that's just how it's that's how it's going to be for me for the rest of the year, and because uh, I just think it's huge towards setting up for the 2021 season. Uh, Rusty, anything you want to add here before we uh, before we let these people go? I mean, I think we all agree, man. This is this is about quarterback. This is about quarterback. This is about throwing the ball. Georgia should dominate Vanderbilt, and they should be a clear favorite against Missouri if that game plays. Whatever happens bowl game-wise, that's a totally different subject we can talk. But, you know, you want to go out and you want to see JT Daniels sling it around some. We understand this is not going to be a 50-40 pass performance. But let him work the game. I thought that was fantastic what you said, Jake. Let him knock some rust off. Guy needs live reps, and uh, he needs to throw the ball around some and work these receivers, and it's good for everybody because you're going to talk to these recruits and say, hey, we got a guy, and we got another guy coming in behind him. So um, I think you're spot on right there. Kip, anything to add? Well, uh, I want to go back to my previous Pickens uh, note, just talking about you know him only having three catches still. You know, one thing that you've seen from JT Daniels being here is, I mean, he is getting more looks though. Still, I mean, the first the first uh, four games, you know, I think he had what like thirteen catches in four games. And in the last two games, I think he's had like 11 receptions and like 14 throws his way. So, I mean, he is still getting looks. I think just that continued chemistry and development between JT and his receivers, you know, really could give them a leg up on next year. And also just the, the overall tempo of the offense. It just – it seems like – I mean, early on in the game, I mean, they – they were bringing some temp- tempo to the play calling. I know in the second half, more run plays, uh, a little bit more time off the clock in between each play. But I think overall you have seen a team that last year was one of the s- slowest offenses in the country is now inching up toward not just average but being above average in the conference. And so I, with more experience, more snaps, and, and just more confidence in that playbook, I mean, you could really see a team that can really play with tempo, can play well with tempo, can make de- good decisions, and can really, really perform well in all facets of the game. So that is something that I want to see is, does he continue to get more chemistry with his, with his receivers? And does he just continue to get more comfortable in these final two, three games and, and, and run an offense that, again, everyone's been kind of looking to see. And now you're starting to see hints of, of, of what it could be and, and really what Todd Monken's brought to the Georgia coaching staff this year. I mean, that's the one real aspect that you've seen. This season has not gone the way that fans – players, coaching staff wanted, but I don't think you can really complain about what you've gotten from Todd Monken and the play call this year. Not at all. I mean, it, one of the things that that I said last year that that was really missing from Georgia's offense, and it was probably due to receivers at times as well, was that you watched other teams play, other really good offenses, and there were layups all over the place. There were, there were balls that didn't have to be 
have to hit a guy in stride or be perfectly placed to become big plays, and Georgia didn't have enough of those. And they've had all sorts of opportunities this year, and JT Daniels in a short amount of time has already taken advantage of more of those, I feel like, than, than the previous whatever, however many games, I guess it would be seven games combined. And, uh, and that's been huge. That's been a big reason why Georgia's averaging 42.5 points a game and, and was able to put up 401 yards against Mississippi State through the air. I want to share something real quick before we go. Uh, talk to a, a source. I've shared this with the Dogs 24-7 Junkyard. Talk to a source uh, on, on Saturday about the Georgia-Missouri game. Um, there's confidence that that game is going to get played. It's kind of all going to come down to, uh, it seems like, and, and listen, it, 2020, everything's subject to change. It's going to come down to what kind of happens with Florida because Georgia's still mathematically alive. Florida will have to lose its final two games of the regular season for Georgia to get back to the SEC championship game, which is played on December 19th. December 19th is also a makeup date for games that have that have not been played. Missouri has three games left, which is, which I believe are against Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Georgia. They're going to have to play those games in three straight weekends. So the 19th is definitely open for them, and they are eliminated from the SEC championship game. If Georgia gets eliminated this week with a Florida win, I think that you're probably going to see Georgia-Missouri on December 19th. If, if that doesn't happen, if, if Florida loses, then they're probably going to go ahead and get Missouri-Georgia out of the way on December 12th so that in case Florida loses again, Georgia can play in the SEC championship game. And that's kind of the way I – that's how the logistics work as far as what I was told. But, again, everything's subject to change. God knows what could happen tonight in the next 45 minutes after we tape this podcast. Who knows? Stuff develops so quickly, goes downhill, back uphill so fast right now that it's really tough to figure out. Uh, but but I was told on Saturday that was kind of how it was being looked at, and we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, but for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, and we're going to have all that covered for you over at Dogs 24-7, come see us 75% off through tomorrow, by the way. Uh, 75% off an annual uh, VIP pass. It comes out at uh, $2 large 24 cents per month. If you do that, you basically get nine months free, seven cents a day, no matter how you look at it. It's an awesome deal. It's the best one we offer. And uh, it's it's through today, which is Cyber Monday, and then all day tomorrow on Tuesday. And, and you can take advantage of that. Come see what we got for early signing day, national signing day, two of the best recruiting guys in the business. And uh, and all through the offseason, spring drills, fall camp, all through next season uh, for, for, like I said, what amounts to $2.24 a month. But for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell from the same place. And you all take it easy. producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 Kiss the Future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply